if I go back 10 years, I definitely would never have guessed that I would be sitting in Erbil or doing this job. Uh, but it kind of just ended up happening that way. I wanted to be a communicator and I wanted to do something that I felt that had impact. Welcome to episode two of Humans of UNDP, a podcast where we get to know fellow colleagues and where we explore how we connect and communicate in the digital age. Today we are in Erbil, northern Iraq, in an area known as Kurdistan. It's one of the oldest continuously inhabited areas in the world. Kurdish people are very proud of, of their heritage and who they are. And the noises, the, the music, the everything about uh, Kurdish culture is it's a lot about um, bringing people together and actually embracing and being in a space with your family every Friday and celebrating for most anything. Um, with music and dancing. So I think the Kurdish people are really, really warm people and really willing to help and go over and above. Human settlement here dates back to as far as 6,000 years ago. But Marley Tinnock, a communications and reporting officer at UNDP, is relatively new here. I am Australian and often, obviously, there is stereotypes of, from every country. So I'm not blonde, blue-eyed surfer girl. And actually, in fact, a lot of people have mistaken me for Kurdish. It still happens when I get into taxis, they will, uh, they'll say certain greetings and things to me in Kurdish. And I can, I can say Bashikaka and I can, I, can, I can direct the taxi to where I want to go. But my command of Kurdish is not fluent. Being in a conservative society, you have to think more about others and the, and respect for others in the way that you present yourself and that you act and be mindful that it's a country with a, a different heritage and a different set of stories and they haven't always had the same privileges as, as you. So they can be challenges, but I think it's also, it's a part of the culture that you learn about and it's, it's not a negative part, it's just different. Um, and it's just coming around to realize that, um, you know, it's not, it's not hard, it's not difficult. It's just being mindful. Originally from just north of Sydney, Australia, Marley grew up surrounded by bushland and national parks. So home could not feel farther away. I grew up very far from city life, um, but I think it kind of grounds you when you grow up somewhere a little bit more relaxed and calm. Um, and then whilst the big city can be a shock, um, it's uh, always a peaceful place to come back to. So yeah, that's where I am right now. And it's a big change from, from being in Erbil in Iraq, which by no means is a big city, but it's obviously a very different environment to a uh, sleepy beach town in somewhere in the middle of Australia. After we connected with Marley at her office in Erbil, we also caught up with her when she just arrived back in Australia to visit her family for a month. It was Marley's second time coming back home since she first moved to Erbil from her prior job working with the International Labour Organization in Geneva. She adapted to life quickly in Erbil, but there are simply some comforts from home she couldn't help but miss. I very much miss Vegemite, and I always take it with me wherever I'm going a lot, um, but you can only carry so much of a big glass jar of Vegemite with you, so it inevitably runs out. Um, so it's easy to access here, so I end up always eating a lot of Vegemite toast when I'm home, and that's, the, to me, the best taste ever. In case you're wondering, Vegemite is a salty and slightly bitter food spread. It's got some funk to it. 
maybe uh, cliche and maybe also shocking to whoever listens and has actually tasted Vegemite um, because it's very much an Australian thing that most people find uh, not that pleasing to, to taste. Although when we talked, Marley was on leave, her schedule is quite busy. When she's back home, she doesn't just have Vegemite toast on her plate. My, my mom and dad always pick me up from the airport and it's always a big, loud, warm welcome. I've got a big, big family, so my itinerary is usually pre-planned for me, visiting all the family members all over the East Coast, pretty much, um, when you only come home once a year. So they're usually lengthy visits with um, coffee and, and sitting and listening to what everyone's done for the last 12 months while you've been away. And those conversations can be complicated. Marley spends a lot of time challenging people's assumptions about life in Erbil. I think uh, the idea of the Middle East is still obviously, for many people, quite a daunting one. So often people that aren't close to me, so when I catch up with some friends that I haven't seen in a while, or maybe some of my extended family that you know I don't talk to on a, on a regular basis, they often have a very um, a negative uh, idea in their mind of the Middle East and they don't, people kind of go, wow, why, why do you live there? Isn't it dangerous? I always try to explain, but I guess, you know, when you live in Australia, I think it's a special case. We are very far away from everything else that's going on in the world. And I think often that kind of unfortunately ends up being a bit of a bubble and they can only really see and hear what is reported on the news. I think that usually the conversation is steered towards a little bit of shock and awe when I explain to them that life is really not that hard there in terms of you know access to, to what we need and, and that it's actually a really beautiful place with beautiful people and, and I can get around quite easily. To give people back in Australia an idea of what Kurdish culture is really like, she tells them about this funny thing that happened when she first arrived. I learned this, this rule when I first got here that um, complimenting someone on something here, it actually implies that that person should then give you that something. So it's a bit of an adjustment here when you say, oh, your sunglasses look great on you. And then they hand them over and say, okay, you have them. Um, and they don't like to take no for an answer. So you kind of end up in these situations quite often where you have to earnestly say, no, I don't, I don't want your sunglasses. They look really good on you, but thank you. So that I think is like a good way of summing up just how warm and giving people are. Working in Iraq for UNDP was not Marley's plan, but her passion for writing and service took her here. I started from a private sector background and I, through a few twists and turns, ended up working with the UN. And since then have moved around and, and tried different things. And right now where I am is, is challenging compared to um, the other offices that I've been based in, but it's a learning experience and it's definitely a way for me to be face-to-face -face with the projects that we're doing. And as a communicator, that's very key because I want to actually be able to see and hear from the people that we're, that we're supporting. And it helps me to write stronger stories and to hopefully, um, with the goal of connecting better with our audiences, both at the local level, but also at the global level, people can actually understand what's happening in Iraq, but most importantly, just to, to, to really hear the voices of the people. So that's kind of the reason that I decided to come here. Marley's projects take her all over the region. It's about as far as you can get from her former office job in Geneva. 
So my project is a, a complicated one. <laughs> I work across all of the projects that happen underneath my program, the Iraq Crisis Response and Resilience Program. So we have projects in five different areas, social cohesion, protection, basic services, livelihoods, and crisis response and recovery. My job is the storytelling side to understand the project first and then to also understand, you know, if it's working for the people, how it's working and what their story and what their journey really looked like to get to where they are today. So often I'm the first and the last person to come into the picture to understand, you know, what things look like at the beginning and then what happens in between and, and what look, what it looks like at the end. And that's across a huge range of different projects with a huge range of beneficiaries. So I keep my hands full, both in South and Central Iraq and Northern Iraq, visiting project sites and speaking to people and then transforming that into um, hopefully what is useful for, you know, the average person, but also for our partners and for our governments and all of our different stakeholders to understand why we're doing it and what the impact is. Yet sharing UNDP's various sustainability and peacebuilding initiatives in Iraq is not so straightforward. There's a lot to consider, from producing engaging stories to creating content that is specifically targeted for her diverse audiences living in digital communication world, I have yet to really see that there is a, an ultimate solution to bring everyone on the same page and make digital communication simple and streamlined. But that's also, also the beauty of it, I think, because it's constant innovation. Part of that innovation involves strategizing the best ways to publish her content in a highly sensitive and unstable environment. I think one big critical issue is the access to the platforms we produce on. We've produced content for local news stations, for television, radio, Facebook. A lot of the time is the most engaged we have with the audience, Twitter as well, and the website. But not everyone has access to those, so we have to consider how we adapt our content to make sure that the messages are getting to the right people in the right way. So I think one of the difficult parts, being a multilingual country, a multi-faith country, um, multi-ethnic country, is that content is received in very different ways and messages can be misinterpreted if they're not carefully thought out. Iraq is very much a country for Facebook, not so much Twitter. Twitter is more our global audience and our donors. So the kinds of content that we publish is very different. And then also we don't have an Instagram in Iraq, but we connect with the regional hub in Amman and they utilize our content for the regional Instagram. I think it's a more visual audience in Iraq than anything because it is multilingual. So if you want to speak to audiences in multiple languages at once, an image is going to speak louder than having a, a caption edited into three different languages, which can be tedious for a reader, I think, but is also important. And at the end of the day, producing a good story doesn't really matter if people cannot understand or access it. In Iraq, I think it's still quite difficult to reach the wider public. You have obviously huge inequality between people that are living in the cities and then people that are living in rural communities. Obviously, mobile technology is completely pervasive. I mean, it's everywhere. But then literacy levels are, again, very fluctuant between different areas of the country. So I think that there's still work to be done to see how we can communicate to people that have less access to technology. And if they do have access, then they they have lower literacy rates, or, or in some cases they have no literacy. Yet even after she's tackled the logistical problems, like language and access, Marley still needs to tell a good story. 
I think there is a digital literacy element to it always. Obviously, everyone's level of skill when it comes to using technology, using different platforms is always going to be very varied. There's got to be more creative ways of communicating to people what the impact is and it's what's the purpose of digital communications and why it's important that we adopt it on a day-to-day -day basis for our communications within the agency but also why we adopt it as individuals and as organizations to advocate and to elevate the impact of our projects. So, because often I think communications more broadly is misunderstood because it's not the first thing people think about. You want to think about the project and the project's impact. But if we can't elevate the voices of the individuals, we're kind of limiting ourselves in terms of the impact because Okay, yeah, we've had a great impact in a certain area with a certain number of, number of people, but if people could hear that story and more people could understand about the issue it is that we're tackling and about the impact of these interventions, not only could they learn from that potentially as other development practitioners, but then also people can just generally understand what's happening in a certain country and maybe have a little bit more time in their personal lives to consider those those issues and be more mindful. We talk big when we talk UN, you know, we want to tackle poverty and we want to do this. But if my mum in Australia doesn't fully understand what it is we're trying to do, that's one less person that's going to advocate for positively changing the world through the work that we do. So I think that digital communications can both be a means to better our day-to-day our -day work through our communications together, but it also can be a long-term impact on global awareness of issues and global changing of mindset to, to want to actually tackle, you know, these crazy big ideas that we call the SDGs. We will hear more from Marley later this season about how she makes her story stand out. In the next episode, we will go to Fiji to meet Victor Liddell, an innovation specialist and head of exploration. Fiji is a volcanic island, meaning that there are lots of mountains in the ocean. So uh, you hear Bula a lot. That's the greeting. Bula means hello, it means goodbye, it means welcome, it means almost everything. Wherever you go in Fiji, you always hear Bula. Bula! Bula! This episode of Humans of UNDP is produced by Oscar Durant and myself. Our theme music is by Lemon Gua, additional music by Chris Zabriskie and Ciro Production, and sound design by myself. Special thanks to Marley Tinnock for sharing her time, story, and sounds with us. To listen and subscribe, go to wherever you find your podcasts, or digitalnow.undp.org. I'm Elise Blennerhassett. Stay with us.